Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We thank them for broadcasting this, WCOM in Richmond, Virginia, IBM TV. And you can watch the show on Big My Entertainment on Amazon, Roku, and Fire Stick. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us, as always, uh, on the broadcast. I want to go... Uh, straight to my guest. He is a licensed therapist and, of course, uh, host of A Dose of the Dime with Yanni. It airs every Friday morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. That's Connecticut time um, here on the Bathroom News Radio Network. And I want to bring in Yanni. Hey, Yanni, I appreciate you coming on, as always. What's up? What's up? Hola, mommies and poppies. This is Yanni, your DJ, and Dan Ducky with Mr. L.A. Bachelor. Let's get it. You sound like you're in a spaceship somewhere, so we're gonna we're gonna work with that. Um, I, I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to talk about. Uh, I'm sure you heard and 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 read about the uh, Simone Bias story where she decided that in the best interest of her, right, herself and her mental state, that she withdrew from some of the competition at the Olympics in Tokyo, which also is a selfless move in regards to being a good teammate. I'm in the air flipping, and I'm forgetting where I'm at. This is not only not going to help me and injure me, but it's also going to help, I mean, going to hurt the team. Um so I wanted to get your thought first about that, how she handled it, um, the negative feedback she got, but she did get a lot of love as well in this this era that we call social media. Okay, so first and foremost, let's get to the Unfortunately, what I tell my kids, and I, you know, I, I do recognize the space on that, but I tell my kids and I tell my children that we have to be ten times better than other children. And I'm talking about us melanated children have to be ten times better than the other children in order for us to get barely any recognition. So when we foul, when we mess up, when we, you know, get in trouble, it's ten times worse. I mean, we, we saw the same thing with some issues with Bill. You know, um, he did not get nearly any of the backlash that some of our athletes have gotten on the Tokyo one. I mean, we're not just talking about the mountains. We're also talking about, you know, um, uh, I forgot the sister's name, but the, the runner. She got backlash. A lot of it. Wanting her to even drop out of the Olympics. But for what? Why, why is it that we have to be the best of the best of the best and they can be mediocre and yeah, I, I just want to uh, let you know I'm uh, um, mute you for a second because we're we're getting a lot of feedback and some of uh, what you're saying is is muffled. But you're right uh, if you can adjust that. But you're right that we have to be better. You had to teach your and tell your children had to have that conversation. I had to do the same and continue to do it. And and certainly other parents are are doing it now, not just because of of incidents like this where social media goes crazy, the social media era, but also in the 
the dangers of society, you know, we, as you and I know, the police brutality and the things, um, women and, and men of color being killed for just on the base of that is crazy. But, you know, with, with Simone coming out and saying this, it, it really speaks to her, not just her courage, and I'm using that word, and a lot of people who are just sports people and, and like Laura Ingram said, just dribble the ball, damn it, and don't talk about issues. Um, those who are always going to have their issues with our athletes in particular should see the courage, not only because of her stepping away because of her illness, but this is a young lady that's strong. She, her college coach, her gymnast coach, um, committed horrible, heinous sexual advancements and acts on her, and still she worked through that, still working through that. I'm sure you're a therapist. I'm sure she's still working through that, but also performed at a high level, setting that aside, being a team player again in the midst of that. So she could have folded then, Yanni, um, from that experience, and here she is. She gets through that. She makes it to be arguably, I believe, the greatest gymnast of all time, at least in the United States. And she's going through this. So she doesn't get the credit. How much of that also speaks to um, the fact that she's a black female as well, that the fact that, you know, had this been a, a guy, you know, we're patting him on the back and talking about the strength and the courage and his focus to get through it and all, all these other things, but here it is, Simone Bias, and it's a different story. Well, okay, so the one thing that I do know about um, majority of us black women, I never try to speak in generalities. That's the thing that I won't ever do, but the majority of us are resilient, if nothing else. So, yes, Sister Girl went through a lot of trauma, a lot of um, Definitely some some very, very difficult times, but she found that love and that space for the things that she wanted to do. Having that trauma does not take from the fact that she's an amazing athlete. Having that trauma does not take from the fact that she loves what it is that she does, and she's good at it. And so that, for me, for instance, and I know this has nothing to do, but I'm going to relate it back. Um, Going through my divorce, I love dance. When I went through my divorce, I was teaching dance at least four times a day because I needed to find a space where I could be safe and feel safe, and it was when I danced. So having her come back out and show out, it it was, yes, it is phenomenal. It is awesome. But, yeah, I, I expected nothing less. I expected nothing less because of the fact that she, you know, us as black women, we are resilient. And when we find our coping skill, we find that thing that we love, we find that thing that makes us glow, we we cling to that. And, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, we've, we've heard it all before. There's a lot of um, people that will say, you know, that black women are the most underrated women on the face of the earth, and we're the most underprotected Um I saw a post today, and obviously this has nothing to do with the Olympics, but I saw a post today, and it made me think about it. Um, She asked, she was asking women of different ethnicities, not not women of color. She wanted any other um, ethnicity of women, white women, um, um, Asian women, anything but a black woman. Um, And she asked, has any man ever asked them what they brought to the table? Has that ever been a discussion? Because she wanted to make a point that 
for us, it is always us getting asked what it is that we bring to the table. But we don't see that being asked of any other race or any other culture. And the overwhelming response was, no, that question doesn't come up. So why is that always a thing for us? Why do we have to prove and overprove and prove again? That we are not not just that we're worth because we're worth it just because we're here, but why that we are good, we are great, we are good. Why do we have to prove that? That that's a that's a, a whole hidden trauma that we probably need to eventually talk about together. That's a great uh, a point and great uh, point of conversation as well. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Yanni Knox of Adults of Dine, of course, that airs every Friday morning at nine thirty eight. Uh, 9.30 Eastern on the Bachelor News Radio Network here and WCOM. Yoni, when you look at this taboo, this mentality, is it more, I, I, I just thought about it, and, and when the negative, the naysayers are always going to be there, regardless of any issue or topic or discussion. There's always going to mm-hmm. be someone negative and this and that. So I, I came to expect that when she pulled out, especially, again, from people who just look at it through the lens of sports. Just go play. I don't care about you having problems. I want to win. I want you to win gold for the United States. Um, but the other part of it is that this, this stigma, society in general, but, but more specifically the, the people of color, that we can't have these conversations in our communities, in our households. We can't talk. I'm stressed. I need someone to talk to. It may not mean you're going to go out and shoot up, God forbid, the whole place, but you just, you fatigue. You got weight on the world and all that stuff. Why is that? Is it more of society just kind of, of putting this, this label on people are they're just bonkers because they're, you know, fatigued mentally? Or is it because it's just a, a sort of a, uh, going back to a sort of a testosterone thing where, you know, everybody's got to be tough and you can't do this. And what well, what is it the reason why, especially when it comes to athletes and, and people of color specifically? I feel like um, a lot of it, and not just athletes, I feel like a lot of this comes from generational trauma. Um, and hear me out when I say this for those of you who don't know what generational trauma is. So our people, most of our, most of our people were not born in America. We were brought here via um, the slave trade, Congo, okay? So with that being said, there, like spankings are also a generational, it was a help for when our um when we were all in slavery because no master, you don't have to whip our children. Look, we're going to whip them for you so that they don't kill them. So I feel like a lot of us were taught to stifle our emotions, to stifle our cries for help, to um, hold whatever you have going on, and that would be considered your dirty laundry. And as you already know, we don't ever air our dirty laundry. And it's been like a societal thing, a cultural thing that has kind of stayed with us throughout history. And we're not even going to go into how Gen X, you know, I, I, I don't know if you are Gen X. I think, I think you might be a boomer, right? Right, L.A.? Uh, but how Gen X is, um, <laughs> how Gen X was um, kind of, we were the original latchkey kids. You know, we didn't get that space to, if something went wrong, we had to figure it out ourselves. We did not dare call our mom, call our dad. And I'm, just, I'm not talking just about culturally this time. At this point, it is a whole generation of ex-generation people who 
stifle their feelings and don't talk about the things that are going on because, you know what, we got a job to do, so let's get this job done. We were taught to hold that together because, God forbid, you contacted somebody to help you. It meant that you couldn't do your job. Or for children, it meant that, you know, if if you if it was something that was easy and you couldn't figure it out, you're now going to get in trouble. So we learn how to stifle and figure stuff out on our own. So it is a generation teaching generation teaching generation that, no, you figure this out on your own. You don't tell other people what's going on in your house. Dirty laundry, you don't air that. And as far as what I call the social media paparazzi, they it, it is literally people sitting on their behinds who don't know much about anything. They hear, well, why does she get to stand what's going on? It's always somebody sitting on their behind doesn't know anything about the sport, but they hear these stories and they go off because of what happened to them and they made it through. But you don't understand the level of scrutiny that and, and precision that these, these athletes have to go through in order to perform at their best at the Olympics. And how much, again, we go back to the stifling, stifling of all of that emotion, of all of that, you know, they power through the pain. That is an everyday thing for them. So it's it's only, what, real that they power through their emotional pain. And it was good that she did what she did. Hopefully she can be an example to other people that you should talk about and step out and be upfront with what it is that's going on with you. Yanni, Barbara and, and Florida uh, mentioned the social media. Um, if, if more people focused on the positive on social media, some of this would go away. I don't know what this means, what she said. I hope that she'll well, hit that again. Well, I mean, she's just making, like, a comment, like, you know, if people would just focus on the positives of the story as opposed to digging apart the negatives, that society would be a better place. I agree with that. But the problem is is that it's too easy to focus on the negative. I, I always do this exercise when I'm teaching a, parent, a parenting class because, Focusing on negative is so easy. Focusing on positive actually takes time. I ask people to close their eyes and focus on something positive, something positive that happened today. And I, I see a few smiles. It takes a few minutes, and that's good. But then I say, okay, now let's think about something negative that happened today. Almost immediately, almost immediately, there's groans, there's grunts, there's, oh, my God, it's so easy because negative is in your face. Negative, everybody can identify with. And so when people feel entitled, like, for instance, um, well, she didn't go through what I went through. I went through full-fledged rape. Well, okay, it doesn't make her trauma any less than yours just because what happens, you may have been physically more assertive. Trauma hits people on different levels. Depression hits people on different levels. And when you have people that are holding you accountable for your actions, like your team is counting on you to be 100% and you're not, what do you do? Isn't it the honorable to bow out? I mean, I'm with that. Something to be said, what Barbara said and, and what you're you're pointing out. I mean, on your show and even in uh, our conversations, either via tech or call, hell, I called you last week. You were doing a exercise class or something. I mean, all you, you it's all positive vibes. And, you know, we don't know how people are in their private times all the time, but it, you exude the positive. And, and, and that's the point she's making as well. So it, how much of the, the negative of plays a part 
in the message, you and other therapists, and, we're, you know, the topic is, is athletes. They're trying to tell their story to bring forth people to, to get help or, or talk to someone. How much of the negative and the, the fake news, that term? Because, you know, social media could be our best friend. It could be our worst enemy if, if you don't do the research. And like you said, positive is easy. Um, getting the, 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 I mean, negative is easy to, to, to follow. Positive takes some work. Um, to, to believe something positive. So how much of the fake news and, and some of that negative uh, spin out there uh, sort of blocks what you're trying to do in terms of helping your, your, your clients, your patients, and, and athletes coming out to talk about their stories? Well, I try to tell my kiddos um, and my, um, my clients to, honestly, I don't look at the news. I do not look at the news. The majority of it I get from social media, and I look on an article that I want to read if I'm interested in it. And the reason why I don't do that is because the news um, and a lot of these social media platforms, um, especially the ones that you can just roll on and it just plays, are designed to feed your fear. They're designed to feed your um, hatred. They're designed to get you hooked in emotionally. And, again, we just talked about it. The easiest way to get you hooked in emotionally is to talk about something negative, something that somebody is scared of. And immediately somebody's hooked in. Oh, what's going on? Yeah, fear, hativity, that breeds. It breeds, and that's how they get you hooked in. And unfortunately, to catch ratings or to, for whatever reason, to get you to click on their website, that's how they do it. Now, for me, I always tell my kiddos and, and um, my, um, my clients, you want to be careful of those people that openly choose positivity and happiness. Most of us that openly choose to live our life positive and openly choose to live our life in a happy manner have been through hell. And we got there, we got to this positive place by openly choosing to be happy, to choose the positive over the negative. And it does not happen overnight. It is a continuous battle. Because, And I talk about um, this with my kids. There is a, there's a, a continuum, like a circle. Um, and I feel like everybody wakes up at different points on the circle. So if you're having a positive self-esteem day, you wake up on, a, on the far side of the circle, and that's good. But there are going to be days you wake up on the a, on a other side of the circle where you're not feeling so hot. It is going to happen. It always happens, and it's unfortunate. And those are the days that you have to openly choose positivity. You have to openly choose to make yourself feel better and openly choose to um, – Treat yourself just a little better before you go into anything else. Because when you, those people who have been through hell, like myself, um, get into that negative spiral, it can be devastating and damaging for everyone around them. So that is why they openly choose positivity in all of these things. Well, just to follow up with that, um, you know, Jerry said, um, you know, the reason why um, reality TV works is because people want to see, you know, people having issues like they have. And, and he brought up NASCAR crashes and stuff. And he's actually right. NASCAR, people watch NASCAR a lot. Uh, the, the numbers show not for the race, but for the crashes. They want to see destruction wow. and, and negative <laughs> and stuff, uh, which is crazy. But, that, I mean, the, the, the stats don't lie. Um, but just to follow what you said, I mean, take, for instance, if, 
if you're going to be, you mentioned being careful about people who are just taking all the positive. I mean, then how do you decipher between, you know, the the good and the bad in those those instances? You know, case in point, you may have a, a pastor that, you know, teaches, you know, revelation. If you know the scriptures, you know, doom and gloom, going to hell, burning to hell, that kind of thing. Or, or a guy like Joel Osteen that talks about God's love all the time. So, I mean, what do you choose? You choose the person that's going to be like, well, if you don't do this, you're going to get this. Or you choose the other one saying, well, everything's lovely if you just do this. I mean, it, it, as it relates to getting that message out, how do you decipher that? Ooh, okay. So... I always try to tell people to remain within balance. And you kind of uh, misunderstood what I was saying about those of us that choose positivity. When I say we choose positivity, we have the tendency to go off. We could go off, but we choose positivity. I'm talking about those people. Now, there is a trait called toxic positivity, (laughs) but those people use it in a very different manner, okay? So let's go back to your question. Your question was how do you – when you're feeding yourself, when you're you're going into your religious practice or your spiritual practice, what is best for you? And I would always go back to that your spirit knows better than you can ever know. So if it feels right within your spirit, what it is that you're doing, if it feels right within your spirit, what it is that you're hearing, if it brings you joy, if it makes you feel good, then continue doing that. Do not ever go to a space where when you go, and you're supposed to be getting sad when you're doing religious work, if you're going to a space where um, you feel fearful, or like I better do this, or I better repent, or I you feel fearful, or you feel like you know you're not doing the right thing, and it doesn't feel good within your spirit, and you don't feel like you're in a positive space. That is not a space for you to be in, because what we know for sure is what we feel passionate about. We're bringing more of that to us. So be in a space. Trust your intuition. If you feel good in your space. At the moment, and I don't mean copping out and drugs and all, alcohol, all that. I mean, if you genuinely feel good in a space, there's laughter, there's joy, you feel genuinely happy about what's going on, then that is the space that you need to be in, okay? Mm. That, that's what I would say about that. And, and thanks for the clar- clarification. We're talking with Yanni Knox, a licensed therapist and host of A Dose of a Dime. Uh, we'll allow her at the end to get into her practice and and about her show even more. So the the beginning of this whole interview and conversation was about athletes coming out like Simone did and others using their voice for good, uh, even mm-hmm. if it, it doesn't look good and feel good even in cases, and knowing they're going to get blowback, a LeBron James or others that may come out in different platforms or different issues, um, for the sake of the public and the public to, to learn that it's okay to, to talk about this and seek, you know, conversations. Um, with all that being said, how impactful, if any, these powerful athletes that have these millions of followers on Twitter and all these other places, how much of their voice really makes a change, can make a change, and having people feel comfortable in their space, like you said, um, to talk about their illness, their stress, whatever they're going through, uh, to, to, to get that help? 
Well, I applaud people that stand on their platform and they use it for the good of the people. I, I applaud that in every way, shape, or form. And for those people who might be experiencing what's going on with them, they normalize it. So not just I'm getting abused, but it looks like, oh, my God, LeBron James got abused as well, too. So, okay, so I'm not an evil person because that's what happens when you ha- go into these situations with these people that have been abused or they've been traumatized. They believe that they deserve it because of whatever it is they did. They were born evil. They were this. They were that. When somebody uses their platform to say, no, no, you are okay. This happened to me. And and we, you know, it is okay to say this happened and it is okay to go get help. They normalize it for those people who may be struggling. And I am 100% for that type of behavior. However, because Everybody has an opinion because everybody has, you know, um, uh, not everybody's going to agree. And, of course, because some people are abusers, they're going to disagree and there will always be lashback. It doesn't matter how how positive um, the speaker is or how positive the message is, it's not happy with it. And, unfortunately, you're just going to have to overlook them and keep pushing forward and pushing the positive message because – Somebody needs to hear that, and I'm, I applaud anybody that uses their platform to do that. And, Tom, uh, speaking of someone's always going to have something to say, Tom writes in and says he, he um, understands that Simone was abused in college by the college coach, but um, could this just be her just being tired? And, I, you know, but you can't really get into it. Yoni, you can't get into a person's head. If she's saying she's mentally uh-huh. fatigued or stressed, isn't that what it is? That you got to take the person for you know their word is bond. Yeah, uh, anxiety affects everybody differently. Uh, it is it is a ugly, ugly thing. And a little bit of self uh, disclosure. I had a situation where one of my abusers attacked. You know, uh, contacted me the other day, and it did not affect me until two days afterwards, and my chest felt like it was ready to explode even though I know how to do my coping skills and I'm very effective at it and I'm very good at choosing happiness it of anxiety stress tension trauma affects everybody differently and I'm a pro at it not a pro that's not true we're not going to do that but I have worked my coping skills to the point where I know when I'm okay and I know when I'm not and so me me saying that, oh, my God, I feel this tension in my chest. And even I related it to one of the clients I was seeing at the time. Hey, let's breathe together because I'm having a hard time. We don't know what that girl was going through. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. We don't know exactly what's going on. We may She may see the bar and see her abuser. We don't know. Right. We may, She may do a flip and she may hear his voice or, I don't know, whatever the trainer was, their voice in her head. And that might and, make and her falter. Yeah, you only said, I mean, for God's sake, she said she forgot where she was when she was in the air. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, she could have injured herself drastically. Oof. Okay. So, yes, 100% what you said. And even if um, she was tired, doesn't she afford it that? I know. That's the, I mean, she's given all, you know, of her life and being abused, like you said, different. And, and then did, did she handled it. We don't know behind the scenes what she's going through. 
She's right. just telling you, hey, I need to take a break. It's bad timing for you sports fanatics, but, hey, I need to take a break for a minute. And that's, you know, that's her right as as her herself, her person. Um, so what are some of the signs to um, – to look for, I know you. This is sort of general, but if you can give some some type of thing, you know, it's almost like when people. I I had a, a you know family member that started off smoking cigarettes, then he went to marijuana, then he went to cocaine. Next thing you know, he's doing angel dust. So he graduated, right? So are there signs that you start off? You just tired all the time. You're sleeping. What are some of the signs that um, you want to avoid so you won't get to some place where it's very you know, almost fatal for you? Um, So with general depression, absolutely, you want to look for, um, it's called hypersomnia. It's where you sleep a long time, like eight to nine hours, and you're still tired when you get up. That's one of the things. It's um, avoiding contact, isolating yourself. Like you have good friends, you just don't want to talk to them right now. Um, It is... um, Absolutely abusing um, substances, um, but sometimes you have to be careful with that one because if the person has addiction in their family, that can also be a heredity thing. Um, So definitely those are some warning signs to watch for. Um, Everything seems like it doesn't matter. It's never going to turn out right. When you see somebody taking that type of attitude, you want to check in with them. Like you say, hey, well, we can go here. It'll be okay. No, they're probably going to mess it up. When they have that negative mindset, you want to check in with them. When they're oversleeping a lot and they're still not, you know, they're still not um, rested enough, then you definitely want to check in with them. Overeating and or not eating enough. It could be either one of those. Overeating, eating your emotions, that is definitely a sign, a telltale sign of a, of a depression. And also not eating enough, that's also a telltale sign of depression. So for anxiety, which is what a lot of us um, survivors suffer from, you want to watch for um, spiraling thoughts. Now, this is something that normally only the person can tell you that they're going through. Um, they will talk themselves into a frenzy. They will overthink, overworry, and it will go into a circle. Um, their thoughts will start racing. They, they can't even get a hold of one without thinking about something else. Everything is negative. Again, back to that. Um Let's see, um, breaking out in sweats and they don't know why. Random triggers. Oof, there's a lot of things when it comes to anxiety. Anxiety is so tricky. And, and you talked about two, some those. two two things you talked about that c- kind of can be misconstrued, and, and um, I don't want to, you know, beleaguer it, but um, you mentioned with uh, – the fact that if they have um, they're abusing some form of substance, I told you about a family member or alcohol or whatever the case may be, um, mm-hmm. that that might be hereditary. So how do people decipher? I guess they need to see someone, a professional like yourself, to determine that. And also, you know, sweats. Um, I know um, my sister went through menopause, and she would break out in sweats and stuff. So, again, well, okay. so that's something you have to we... kind of look at that. <laughs> So the first thing when you're dealing with, when a therapist, when you go see a therapist, they're going to ask you, you know, medically, have you been checked out? If there's something that could be caused by, I mean, most of us have been very well versed in getting yourself checked out medically before you come see a therapist or come see a, or come see a psychiatrist. Because we want to make sure we want to eliminate anything that might be um, 
And like I said, this is not for you, and I always say this in my show, this is not for you to go diagnose anybody. Please do not be like, you got depression. Don't do that, okay, because <laughs> you're going to end up in a fight. Uh, what you can do is say, hey, sis, I noticed that you're sleeping a lot and you're not eating anything and you don't ever go out anymore. Are you okay? Can I check in with you? What's been going on? How's you know? And and check in all around the. I call them. I, I call them hitting all the bases. What's going on in school? What's going on at work? What's going on with your family? What's going on with your relationships? What's going on with your friends? Hit all of the. You want to make sure you hit all of the bases so that you can hear everything and and you two together can decipher. Oh, okay. It sounds like you got. You're having a hard time with this. Let's go talk to somebody or. I mean, there are, there are tons of wonderful things that you can do online. I, I do know that seeing a therapist is expensive, but there are things that you can you can go online and, and uh, see people. And also the Medicare Act was passed um, so that hopefully that there are people that are able to go see a therapist now. I, I, I do therapy over everything. I love therapy because you, you get to talk and you, you get to work out in your head how you can change the narrative about things that have happened in the past, and it makes you feel better about things. And that's why I love therapy. But we're, I'm on the soapbox, so let me get off. Well, the, the, you always, every time you come on, and uh, myself included in the audience, we always feel good about ourselves when you leave. So I want you to take the time out to talk about your your practice and how people can reach out, your, your social media and your show. Of course, you, you have the floor. Take all, all the time you need. Okay. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I am a licensed um, master's of social work, and I have a show called A Dose of the Dime. And what we do is we talk about relationship issues. Like right now, uh, like tomorrow, we're going to wrap on narcissists and gaslighting. So a lot of people are not quite sure exactly what that is. They've heard these $10 catchphrases. Oh, he's a narcissist. Oh, my God, this is toxic. Oh, they're gaslighting me. And I want to break it down so that if you are being gaslighted, you at least have these weapons in your arsenal so that you know what to do and that you can move forward. So my goal is to create better relationships for our people, um, for you, for, you know, and whoever else that you have are listening to us. So you can always reach me um, at www.thedjdime.com. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm also on Pinterest and Twitter. I don't do much on Twitter, but anyway. And I'm also on YouTube, but you guys can check me out. And, of, of course, every Friday at, uh, what is it, at 930, Eastern Standard Time, I do a dose of the dime, but of course that is uh, 8.30 Central Standard Time. So you guys are welcome to come check me out. If you know, I do have a Facebook group that is open to the public. It is called A Dose of the Dime Radio Show. And on there, we just talk about relationships. And sometimes I will take from the post that we post, and I put it on a radio show. And I also go on live when I go on the radio, so you guys can see me while I, you know, chop this up. But if you guys ever have questions, comments, concerns, or you want to pose a topic, I'm open and receptive to it. So please hit me up. You got the numbers. Me, make it happen. Got to bring up the central time. You know, you just got to bring the central I, time, mm-hmm. man. You know, you know, Connecticut time. It's central. It's central. It's central to the heart of the program, sir. Oh, <laughs> he wasn't ready. <laughs> She is a joy to have. Boy, I tell you, she uh, um, just is. It, her, her conversation is impactful, and she, she definitely knows what she talks about. And and please do check out her 
her Facebook page, but also do check out the show. Uh, airs Friday mornings at 9.30 Eastern Time, A Dose of the Dime with Yanni, and, um, uh, of course, after Locker Talk with, with Barry Barnes. And you can listen to the show at thebachelornews.airtime.pro or at uh, 646-929-0130. And, of course, on her Facebook uh, page, you can see her there live. Yanni, I appreciate you. Be careful. God bless. I will talk with you tomorrow morning. All right, peace and blessings, people. Have a wonderful one, and be a blessing to somebody today. Absolutely. Sometimes we fall in
Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show and Bachelor News Radio Network, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, and WCOM in Carborough and uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. LA Bachelor, we thank you for joining us. Hopefully, we'll have our guests on um, in a minute. Uh, we thank you for being a part of this. Keep in mind, if you do miss any of the broadcasts, uh, you can... Check it out on StreamYard as you're checking it out now. And, of course, you can always uh, go to our website for the audio side of this at thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Again, uh, waiting on um, Quadrigas Bernard Driscoll. He's a a policy influencer and a federal lobbyist and is a adjunct professor at the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management, and he is here. And, uh, uh, Professor, we appreciate you coming on as always, sir. Good to see you. L.A., it's always good to be with you. Thank you. Yes, sir. So I wanted to touch a base uh, first on um, the Biden administration, and no surprise that um, the Republican side are trying to really, you know, hinder his administration and getting things done. You still have a lot of bills on the table, uh, and obviously with the events in Afghanistan, uh, some Republicans are calling for impeachment, um, tit for tat, of course, in, in my opinion. But A, will they be successful in that? And B, do they have any grounds for impeachment? Well, again, always a pleasure, L.A., to, to, to be on your, your show. Um, to, to the heart of your question, no, they they absolutely have no grounds for impeachment, and, and B, uh, they will not be successful. If there is only one member of Congress, solely to my knowledge, maybe a handful, but it's Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, from my home state of Georgia, who is leading these impeachment efforts. Um, she absolutely has no no evidence whatsoever. Not only evidence, but she she has no backing. Uh, she has no precedent for this. She was the member who was kicked off of a committee for some of her more, more outlandish comments, particularly regarding January 6th. And because she doesn't have uh, any committee assignments, she is doing everything in her power really to distract the work of Congress. Um, of course, we know that Congress, uh, you know, as you mentioned, has a lot of bills in play has a lot of uh, policies that they need to work on. And, and there's a lot of actually bipartisan efforts uh, that are taking place. But Marjorie Taylor Greene is, is nothing more than a distraction. And this is exactly what these resolutions for the impeachment of President Biden are as well, distractions. What about the, the actual um, specifics as it relates to Afghanistan, the way we left, uh, Afghani, uh, the Taliban taking over. 
just from that standpoint, in your in your opinion, do you think he handled it the right way? Well, do I think he handled the right way is a tricky question to begin with. I mean, we have to, for all listeners out there, we have to keep in mind that this war uh, with Afghanistan has been going on for 20 years. And we also have to bear in mind that it was President George Walker Bush who actually took us to Afghanistan. And of course, then President Obama and then President Trump and now President Biden have all inherited this. And the... the call for withdrawal of the troops started actually under President Trump. So Biden is is continuing what the previous administration started. Sure, he could have took a reverse action, but I think that he handled the um, Afghanistan crisis, if you will, to the best of his ability. The reality is it was a no-win situation to begin with. Um, There was absolutely no way that we could continue to stay until the Afghan government gained control without allowing the Taliban in. And, and, you know, I am no expert, frankly, when it comes to foreign policy, so I even hesitate to talk about this. But I I will say that I think generally speaking, it was a a win. It was not a win-win to begin with. And so he is dealing with the cards uh, as best he can that that, uh, he was dealt with. You're just joining us. We're talking with Professor uh, Quadrico and uh, um, Reverend um, uh, Bernard Driscoll. He's a, a policy influencer and federal lobbyist and is on, uh, obviously, a junk professor uh, at the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management. Um, professor, when you, you look at the uh, situation as it relates to um, the Supreme Court, um, there's been a lot that's been said about how Chief Roberts has handled the court um, lately. Uh, some people think in some ways he's lost the court to some of the newer um, justices, uh, 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 Amy Barrett and and so on and so forth. But with this unprecedented move, I think, uh, in terms of the Texas ban, the abortion ban that went through that it was a 5-4 decision uh, that, you know, uh, Chief Justice Roberts dissented with uh, the other side, but they, it still did not um, pass in terms of blocking Texas from doing what they're doing. We can get into, like, the specifics of this, this abortion rule. I, b- I believe it's four weeks or six weeks uh, um, after that, yeah, and after that, you you can't have the abortion, and there's those ramifications that come down. Um, how significant is this ruling, and what does this do in the long term for Roe versus Wade, which has been around for how was in '73 or something something along those lines? Right, absolutely. Well, uh, Ella, you you raise a very good point. Uh, the Supreme Court's order, the Supreme Court order on the Texas abortion ban, shows really a threat to Roe versus Wade. Uh, the court's conservative conservatives rejected, except for the Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, rejected a compromise from the Chief Justice, signaling that they already um, were ready to make significant changes in the half century of the Supreme Court with regard to jurisprudence that would control a woman's right to an abortion 
uh, raising uh, states with regard to uh, the Mississippi law, uh, even the, the Texas law. And so what we have now is the second most populous state in the union has the most restrictive abortion law curtailing uh, access for millions of women who, of course, it will, this law literally takes it out of their hands uh, for a woman to have a say in, in reproductive rights in this country. So it, it is certainly significant. It is also certainly a threat to Roe versus Wade. And we will see how this really um, unfolds. I think now what the the Congress is attempting to to do is to look at ways um, how they can expand abortion access in response to the Texas law. Speaker Pelosi said today that the House would vote on legislation to guarantee access to abortion once it returns uh, after recess. So clearly this um, the Texas law and, and what the Supreme Court has said with regard to this law is making headwaves uh, nationally and even, and even legislatively to the extent that the speaker is calling for crafting legislation to ensure that um, women's reproductive rights in this country are protected. We will continue to monitor this and see uh, the repercussions of what it may have and the impact that it certainly will have on Roe v. Wade, but also on millions of women across the country. And you have to think too, Doc, that, um, Professor, that most of the country, since the, the Roe Wade decision came down, has been on the side of, you know, we, you know, don't get rid of it and, and people should have, uh, women should have uh, the right mm -hmm. to choose and the right to de determine their, the, their body. Whether you disagree or not that's what that's what's been on the books so right. if are you concerned though when you look at the house they're extremely right you know it's not just the uh, representative from your state but there are a lot of other people way to the right um and and this is one of those those kiss uh cases and issues that a lot of people talk about. The House will vote on legislation to guarantee access to abortion upon its return to Washington. Uh, you're absolutely right. I, I think that, I mean, this ruling and this law is um, fundamentally a, a constitutional assault on women's rights, uh, women's rights to reproductive as well as to her health. We, the House you know, there's a narrow majority with, with Democrats. Um, we will see, though it's unlikely, how this will unfold in the Senate. Uh, but fundamentally, um, it is a, this is a response to how uh, this law is impacting women across the country. And again, it, it does jeopardize severely a woman's right to choose. And so, uh, with regard to how Republicans and the ultra-conservative states will uh, legislate across the country, how even states in, in my home state, the, the abortion law, um, at the, I think it was the heartbeat abortion law that passed that ultimately died in the courts. We, we will unfortunately see more of these continue across the country. It's going to be incumbent upon Congress, uh, the House as well as the Senate, 
as well as general assemblies, and to take actions within the courts to stop such draconian measures to restrict a woman's right to choose. Yeah, and when you you look at that, I I often say that men, I really don't care what position of status you're in, really don't have, shouldn't have that type of say uh, on a woman's body. Your, your private beliefs are your private beliefs, but when it comes down to a woman and their decisions, I mean, I, I don't understand why, you know, uh, middle-aged white guys uh, in, in particular uh, feel like they need to have this. I had some questions. Um, uh, what's your thoughts on DeSantis? Um, very popular in his state, uh, obviously looking to make a run for president, in my opinion. A lot of people, I'm sure you you've heard that. Um, you know, with the mass laws, we look at Texas, what's going on there, the COVID numbers are going up and, and those particular places. What about these mask laws and some of these conservative uh, Republican states and how will it affect those running for election, for re-election and in DeSantis case, running for president? Well, you know... <clears throat> I'm also a healthcare lobbyist, right. in addition to everything else you mentioned. And I, I had a conversation with a researcher and a physician, a clinician, uh, on Monday with regard to these um, these mask unmandates. Right? Um, I politically understand uh, DeSantis as well as Governor Abbott's decision to. It, well, let me say, I don't understand. <laughs> I do not understand their right. I understand, however, that they're pandering to a certain electorate, a certain electorate that don't believe that COVID-19 is real, a certain electorate that believes that they shouldn't even be vaccinated, and, and thus they want the freedom um, to, to not to wear masks. Uh, politically, I understand all of that. What I think they are failing to understand is that they are further putting uh, the country and the world at greater risk. We know, of course, that there, there is a Delta variant, but what we don't know is that there's also a Lambda variant and a Gamma variant. And those two variants, particularly the Gamma variant, which is, I think, is the other parts of the world that hasn't quite reached the States yet, the, the Lambda variant has, we are approaching this apocalyptic viral state because I understand from what I, conversations with researchers and scientists is that the gamma variant are killing people within three days of catching it. And it is all because people refuse to be vaccinated. They refuse to get vaccinated. And so these laws do not help. And unfortunately, we are moving towards a biomedical nanny state which I will give some credence to those who don't want to wear masks and don't want to be vaccinated, because I do believe that it is your fundamental right to get sick and die if that is your choice. But, however, it should not come at the expense of jeopardizing others. If we equate this to smoking, we know, of course, 40, 50 years ago, smoking was pretty much legal everywhere. You could smoke in restaurants, uh, movie theaters, etc. Of course, through series of research and studies, we have found out that smoking causes lung cancer. Lung cancer disproportionately affects people of color, particularly black men, etc., at the rates of death. As a result, we have, outlawed, we have outlawed smoking in most places in this country, and even in those places where smoking is legal, you are reg regulated to a certain section 
whether it's at the airport, you regulate it outside, or certain box that confines those who choose to smoke. It's the same way with the vaccine. It is a public health crisis. And what these people also, particularly Governor Santos and Governor Abbott of Texas, don't understand is what it means to be in right community with each other. Even if it is your choice not to be vaccinated, it is your choice to protect others from being affected. Thus, if you don't want to be vaccinated, at least have the common decency and respect for others to be in right community to wear a mask. These people don't even want to do that. So I applaud a lot of corporations, a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, gyms, etc., that are saying you cannot come into our establishment, you can't even go to work unless you are vaccinated or you have negative COVID test results. Because unfortunately, it's getting and it has gotten to that point that corporations have to force their hands and jobs have to force their hands in order for us to be safe and to protect our own health. You know, I know we're running out of time. Just two quick things. A comment is, uh, you know, everybody talks about, you know, freedom of speech. Well, freedom of speech is not always free. You can't go in a movie theater and yell fire in the middle of it. That could be dangerous and you can get in trouble for that. Well, your rights are not always free, too. When they infringe what people that don't want to vaccinate and where mass forget that is it's affecting um, other people. And I think it's very careless, very um, disrespectful, and no real um, caring for your fellow man or, or your kids. Like, if you don't want to wear a mask or get vaccinated, keep your you-know-what home. But don't come around me. And that's that's really where it is on that debate. One final question I wanted to, or it was a comment I want to get your thoughts on before we go. Uh, the uh, uh, Thais said, if I could find it again, oh, this is a prime example why uh, the Biden administration must expand the Supreme Court. I guess she's talking about Roe Wade and some of the other things are coming on. And, you know, like we said, with the House, it's going very extreme, right? We mm-hmm. see what's going on with Judge Amy Barron and others that are going to that side as well. So what do you think about Biden expanding the Supreme Court? Well, you know, President Biden has already said that he does not wish to uh, expand the Supreme Court. I know that the narrative, particularly on the far left, is out there that we need to expand the Supreme Court. But again, we, I think we also need to consider the consequences of expansion of the Supreme Court. Because if in the, in the event there is a Republican president at the, the next election or the next couple elections in the near future, we have to consider what uh, the outcomes of, of uh, that will be as well. So, yes, it it might seem prudent and perhaps even advantageous for President Biden to expand the the Supreme Court, but we also have to think about the long-term consequences of when there will be a Republican president and then, of course, more nominations happening. Uh, There have have already been calls for, uh, I think, Justice Byer, Byer, if if I'm perhaps butchering his name, thank you, (laughs) to to step down uh, given his age. Uh, I think, you know, justices are, are, they they are taught to have this cult of the role ideology, which means that they are taught not to necessarily be political. Uh, We know that that is a myth. Uh, We know there were talks about that uh, perhaps Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have also stepped down uh, 
Um, so that, uh, but again, I don't think that the president will uh, expand the Supreme Court. Uh, he's already articulated. And, and again, as, as I said, we have to consider the long-term implications of what expanding the Supreme Court would mean when there is a Republican president. Yeah, and, you know, uh, it's, it's the same thing when it comes to the filibuster. It, you know, uh, what's out of Nevada, he put it in place. I can't think of the senator's name, long retired, but, um, and Harry then, Reed. yeah, Harry Reid. So now you're going back and forth and should you keep it, should you get rid of it? And, and both sides says, okay, be careful, be careful what you wish for. You might just get right. it. Uh, Professor, before you go, let people know how they can reach out to you and follow you. I know you do uh, quite a lot of uh, articles uh, out there as well. Yes. So you're, if you're willing to, to, to follow me, uh, you can follow me at Twitter which is Q underscore Driscoll, D-R-I-S-K-E-L-L-4. Again, that's Q underscore Driscoll 4. Well, Professor, as always, man, I appreciate you, and I appreciate you coming on on short notice, man. Thank you so much. You be well, okay? No worries. Thank you, L.A. You too. Thanks, Professor. He is Professor. Oh.
Got a new song on the radio and very proud of it. It's called I'd Rather Have Love. And we're going to do a little bit of this for you. Hopefully, y'all can enjoy it as much as we did performing it. So, Cap, are you ready? How about you, Walt? My man, Leighton, you good? That's my man, Steve, over here. He's my engineer. All the music y'all been hearing me record, this guy's been behind the boards executing it, you know. Young boy, too. About, what are you, 25? 24? Oh, shit, 24. They're getting younger, you, you, you know? Well, let's rock that real quick, player. Yeah. Do y'all feel all right to see me? We're going to take it like we in church. I was cool in them streets Yeah, I was cool in them clubs Real talk, I wasn't thinking nothing about love I didn't want nobody Trying to partake in my stuff I thought an occasional one-night stand would be enough I met this girl She ruined my philosophy my heart skips a beat when she comes around. I never thought that I'd be ready to settle down. I was about to find myself alone, but I found myself alone. I'm ready for love with my Though I want to, I just see us together And I'd never have a love, then have a life for alone Yeah, yeah, yeah I was raised by a good one Mama told me what a real man should be She said, son, pick one and treat her like me Hey! I took all of her wisdom And I used it for selfish gain and I know if she saw this pimping, she'd be ashamed. I found this girl, she won my philosophy. My heart skips a beat when she comes around. I never thought that I'd be ready to settle down. I was about to find myself alone, but I found myself alone. Chase this 
such privileged pleasure. Hey, with true love and affection, I know it's gonna be quite a challenge. I know it's gonna take some time, but I'm here and I'm ready to change. Cause I know I found myself for love, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'd rather have Take a minute to evolve. I'd rather have a love than nothing at all. I'm ready for a love of my own. Thank you. One, two, three, and. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Hope you had a good time. I've enjoyed you. Bachelor Jr. And he's Kevin Bachelor. And this is Smooth Smooth Say. And you're listening to The Bachelor News Radio Show. On the Bachelor News Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. I want to go to Gerald Hoover. Uh, Gerald Hoover is a best-selling author and uh, uh, certainly uh, does a, a phenomenal job. His My Hero series, and we'll talk about that. But uh, who I wanted to touch base with you and ask you in this COVID-19, there's two things going on. We'll start with the education side. As you're a professor, you're an author uh, of those series. You talk about um, not only bullying and mentoring, but education. I mean, being able to spell, being able to write a check i mean even if you don't write checks to learn how to to write signature things of that nature the basic things you know kids don't even know their home keys remember when we were kids we had the type mm-hmm. we knew the home key and all that but right now mm-hmm. in this this covid 19 and we're short on time so i want you to really get into it what are the pluses and minuses on online schooling I, in the beginning my kids were like you know what yeah this is cool we get to do it but now they're getting bored and they want to be around their friends so socially is different but from an education education learning standpoint, especially with black and brown uh, kids who are uh, not only uh, disadvantaged in some cases in neighborhoods, the books and all of those things. What's the pluses and minuses of learning online? Well, I'm going to go with more of the, well, there ain't that many pluses to me. Uh, um, I think there's more of the pluses that there's something happening as opposed to just being shut down and there's nothing happening at all. So at least there's something tangible that's being used. You know what I mean? Um, can it work? Yeah, I mean, it can. But I, but like you just mentioned, that social, uh, is, the social part of it is part of the the the, the, uh, the dynamic of being able to know how to get along with, with your teammates. Uh, um, uh, I call them teammates, with classmates, uh, knowing how to function, as opposed to everything being robotic, pressing a button, and and that's the one thing I fear. LA is that with my with my book, I have a curriculum. And my curriculum is a full charge curriculum where there's a lot of writing involved, and that's by design because you know studies show that your memory is enhanced by writing things down. Also, you use a certain part of the brain when you're writing, as opposed to just touching a button. A button, you use a certain part of the brain when you're reading, as opposed to just things being something something you digit, uh, digitally. 
And I think that's the where that's where that we're going to have a problem. Uh, again, the plus is that we're doing something, you know, so it's better nothing. But the the, the minus is all a lot. It's it's a, and like you said, the, the, your 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 young men are getting bored. Um, it's a lot. And then what happens is the kids are so inundated with these video games. You know, everything is digitized. You know what I mean? So they could be playing Fortnite for four or five hours. Now all of a sudden you're slowing the pace. Now you're trying to tell them to teach. Now you're trying to tell them to learn that way. It's a lot. So so they have to reprogram themselves on even how to learn as opposed to being away from the computer, you know, instead of being away from the computer and being instructed by a teacher or some sort in the front, in front of them, where she's able to, she, he or she is able to do things live, you know, and in person, so to speak, and sort of uh, have the um, option of learning things on the fly as well, doing things on the fly. You really can't do things too much like that when you're online. You have to, you know, you have to kind of robot yourself a little bit as well. So, but again, pluses is that they're doing something. Minuses are a lot. And what I fear is that our children won't get the benefit of really being promoted in a proper manner meaning earning the promotion. Because right now, you really can't fail a kid. I mean, you can't. I mean, how can you? You know, I mean, how do you fail a kid that that uh, parents may be suffering from COVID? And, you know what I mean, they and, them, themselves might have had it. And who, that's that's a really uh, great point, because uh, if you have a marginal kid, a kid that's been struggling, um, it, it, it's probably not doing a great service for that child if you pass them because of the situation and the climate we are in. And even before mm-hmm. this, speak to, because I think we had this conversation before, about uh, using, you know, I, I'm, I have a real issue with kids using calculators for math. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and not mm-hmm. counting, not writing things out. Like you said, I tell my kids all the time, write it mm-hmm. down, take notes. I, they can go into my studio, my, my, my office, and see nothing but notes. And I try to tell them, not only mm-hmm. take good notes, but make sure you have organized notes. So when you come back to it, mm-hmm. you know what it is. You put your name, date, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and some, mm-hmm. I, I see some of the kids that don't do that, but I, get, I have a real issue when they use sort of these electronic things or things mm-hmm. that take away from counting and reading and all of these things, mm-hmm. audio and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I, I'm be honest with you. I'm gonna give you an analogy because I, I know you, you'll catch it. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a saying. I'm gonna give you an analogy. You know that that was saying if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So we so we understand that part. But now picture a person that's a couch potato, straight up couch potato, remote in his hand, and beer in the other hand, eating chips, doing this for years, watching TV, you know, shape got different, what have you, then you say, okay, I want you to get in shape, the best shape of your life within three weeks. But tonight we're going to start off with you running five miles. That person wouldn't, that person wouldn't walk good four blocks, I mean five blocks really good, without him like, oh, my gosh, I'm tired. And that's the same thing that's happening with our baby's brains. Because they're not using that part of the brain, like you just mentioned. The pre- all you're doing is pressing a button. You're not trying to figure things out in your head. You know what I mean? So you're not you're not exercising that part of the brain. And we know the brain is an organ, but it acts as a muscle. You might as well call it a muscle because it acts as like a muscle. But if you don't use certain things to critically think, uh, conceptualize things, 
figure things out in your head, ponder over stuff. If you don't use that kind of that part of the brain when it's time to use it, you can, please. I mean, think of how many people. I guarantee you, at your audience, if you ask them, if you have read a book, enough, if you have, if you ask them if they have read a book or a long article in a long time, and they if they're gonna do it before they go to sleep, and say read the article, I guarantee you they fall asleep before they do it because that brain ain't ain't being used. So now you're gonna tell me read all this. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? At, within a certain period of time, that brain is over. Is, is, it gets overloaded, and then all of a sudden, it starts to shut down because you have to build it. You have to build it back up. And so, this is what's happening in LA with too many with too many of our children because they're so used to pressing buttons, pressing buttons, pressing buttons from video games to learning that when you tell them to do certain things, either they can't do it, they don't want to do it, or they don't know how to do it. So, guess what? It's not done. And my fear. I mean, I'm saying as I'm saying as a my, my my son is 29 years old, so I'm not, I'm I'm not a concerned parent for him, but I'm concerned parent for others. Because as an educator, every child that comes into your classroom or any class, any 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 of me when I go to schools, those children become my children, and I say it openly. I'm like for for the for the time being, I'm here. You belong to me, That's right. and I treat them as they're my children. And so my fear is that. Because they took penmanship out of schools, you know, so you write, these kids don't know how to write cursively, nor can they read it. So, so I'll, I'll use the word script. They, not, not only can they not read the script, they can't, I mean, they can't write it. So they can't read it. So now you tell an 18 year old, 19 year old, go register to do this, sign this application, go do this, and they say sign your name, he's writing in print. He's or she writing in print. And to be or not, the way they write, they're not even writing online. I mean, in other words, you, you tell the kid to write in print on the line, they're writing in between the line. And they're writing, I mean, they, they're putting their name, like, uh, they're writing across the line because they don't have a concept of writing, bro. That is, like, scary. Yeah. And that's happening worse for our black and brown babies than it is for other other children because other children, they, they, the ones that have the means to it, they're being taught how to write in script. Sure. So now, so education system, it seems, they seem to have put that on the parents, which is not fair. Not, no, 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 when I say fair, because that's a basic requirement, writing. You know what I mean? That, that, should, that should be something that should be uh, uh, cataloged in schools or, 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 and, and, and should be progressed in school because L.A., that's how we learn. You know what I mean? Our time tables, we did that in school. Right. Our, our writing, our penmanship, you know, writing between the lines, our tracing. You know what I mean? We did that. We did that in school because although, it was part of our curriculum. Although I write like a doctor without the money, but I mean, sign. Like no, hey, 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 me too. <laughs> and, and here's the funny thing: me too, and I'm ambidextrous with it. I can write with both hands, left hand, right hand. I can do both, and I can write equally sloppy. So we're in the same boat. Yeah. I get that, but at the end of the day, my friend, we can read that, we, and we can read some lots of sla- and we can read some lots of sloppy handwriting too, because right. we're accustomed to doing it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, but, but again, our babies aren't getting that privilege, and and with that, they're gonna lose so much in this fake, illusion-filled digital-based world right. because it's, it's really an illusion. Yeah. It's an illusion, bro. It's yeah. an illusion. Talking these, with these the, smartphones have made, made us dumb. Talking with uh, Gerald Hoover, best-selling author of My Friend, My Hero, a book targeting young black and brown boys ages 12 up and up here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM, Chapel Hill, and Carborough, uh, uh, North Carolina. And we'll get to the, the book series and info there. Um, you know, really sort of the final uh, phase, and I know you said there's the positives because they're doing something. But, again, um, 
the concern I have is that even before the virus, even before they had to go online, and some are going back to school in certain places, and, I mean, you can get into if it's safe or not. That's a whole different discussion for another day. Um, but the fact is that, you know, it, kids, even before the virus, I, and I have to, again, I challenge mine all the time, um, it, it, They work is not, it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily fun for us, but, mm-hmm. you know, we knew we had to do that, and we knew at the end of the day it was going to make us better. Even sometimes we mm-hmm. didn't feel like going to school. I tried to play hooky. My mother found out all the time, but I had to do what I had mm-hmm. to do. And it didn't seem mm-hmm. as forced on us as it is with kids. Kids are like, okay, if you, you do this, you can play this, or you can go outside, and they push and they zooming through it. But at the same time, you want to tell them, no, take your time, because a lot of teachers say take your time, read the read the questions, you know, when you're taking a test. And it seems like these kids, our kids, are trying to zoom through a lot of the the work and they don't seem to get it. It's more robotic than Mm -hmm. consumption and understanding and comprehending it. You you buy Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. I mean, and and that's the fear. And and, a matter of fact, you said it eloquently, but you basically repeated what I was saying and the way I said it. When, these, when our babies get a certain age, they're not going to be able to function other than doing what they've known. It's almost like putting a, you know, you know they put the uh, blinds on horses, run that straight, run a straight line. They won't know how to do anything else. But oh, it's not, it's not set in stone this way. They won't be able to do it. And that's where too many of our child, children are going to fail. That's where they're going to fail because they won't have options on how to do things any other way. And that's going, that, and that's a criminal act, if you ask me. It's a criminal act. It's written because. Well, and, and that's why I said fake, illusional, filled world, because you say, oh, no, he got a so-and-so on his test. But, yeah, he was pressing a button that you helped him press because you're trying to get that funding because the state mandated so-and-so and so-and-so, which the state has no – they have no clue what's going on on the ground. They're a bunch of bean counters and doing whatever they're doing. They have no clue or concept of what is done on the educational level, none, because if they did or if their children was in the belly of the beast – they wouldn't have that kind of. They wouldn't have that kind of outlook. And, 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 just, to, been, and just to interrupt too, if they if our kids aren't learning, again, post uh, pre and post COVID nineteen, they're ready to mm-hmm. put them ready to put them on meds, you know, Ritalin and whatever, oh it, whatever. Man, um, and, 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 and bro, and, and LA, I was I believe it or not pre COVID. And, and matter of fact, you we've said discussion about my book before COVID. Pre COVID, well, I started my curriculum. Two years ago, I mean, like getting it in stone. So I, I told I'm, I'm well ahead of the COVID part. I was yelling and screaming about in 25 years if we're not careful that we're gonna have an educational apocalypse. I was saying this for about two years now. Now it's probably gonna be closer than that because we're gonna lose two and a half years. Okay, this way for every child I was already behind, tack on two more years. You know, go. You're not gonna fail a kid. They're going to promote them socially. But think about the average 10th grader that's ready for college, getting ready for college in two years. They're going to be functioning on a sixth-grade reading level or sixth-grade work level. So, so that so, means when they graduate high school and, and graduate to go to college, they're going to, they're going to, it's going to be a, very, a real challenge. So real, real quick, because we're running out of time, um, what would be some of the solutions you have you know, right now with COVID and, and moving forward? And please do. Uh, let people know how they can get my friend, my hero, talk about the book and, and where they can find it. 
Sure. Well, I, I'll, I'll do that first because it's fresh in my head. Uh, my, my website is called The Hero Book Series. Right, theherobookseries.com. Um, for those that are educators or they want to uh, do some homeschool and help, help them enhance, you can order my book, and I will even let you know how to get the curriculum to go with it. Now, the curriculum, uh, it has a study, a study guide, which you have to write, read, uh, do some uh, uh, research to learn how to do words, how to put words together, context clues. I mean, it's, it's, it was the same thing would happen in the school. Also have a teacher's edition to where you have the answers. So for you parents that have young children, okay, Johnny, do this, do this, do this. You as a parent, whether you've been to school lately or not, it's okay. You have the teacher's guide. You have the answers. The sentences, you have the answers, the, the, the multiple choice stuff, you have, the, you have all the answers. I even have a pretest. So you can say, here, Johnny, take this, and let me see how you can do with that. Then I have what's called a unit assessment, and I have answers for that as well. So you have a student success guide, you have a teacher's edition, and you have a unit assessment. So you have all those, and you're good. What I would suggest, put a physical book in your child's hand. E-learning is fine. I, my book is on tape now. It's coming out in about a month. I even have e-books, which, okay, I, I'm not really for them, but I know people, I don't want to read it like that. That's fine. But put a physical book in your hand. The five senses that we're blessed with are given to us for a reason. Putting a physical book in your hand speaks volumes to the mental, soul, mind, and body. There's a lot of, and go on YouTube and research touch on how the effects are of touching a book. Google that. Touch it. Touch in a book. How wow. powerful! You start that. Your knowledge starts to your your knowledge starts. La with just touching the book. It's powerful. I I, I just saw that. I just saw something like that the other day. And it's funny because I've been thinking about it. Because you know, cause, you know, I give you an example. Let me let me say this really quick. I'm gonna show you on time. In the in the in the Bible. I'm, I'm sorry. In, in church, people have told me. I remember, I remember old ministers were telling me. I would say, well, Elder so and so, what do I learn? What do I read in the Bible? What should, how, what should I do? They, they, you know, they would tell me. Say a prayer. Put your hand on top of the Bible and just open it. Meaning, I heard meaning that before. You'll find it. <laughs> You know what I'm saying, Ella, Ella, you know where I'm going, you know where I'm going, you know where I'm going. There was something powerful about putting your mind right with it, coming, becoming one with the story that you're about to read, and then opening the book deep with that, that's deep. And, and so we keep giving these books, these, 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 these digital books and everything, you ain't helping these kids, put a book in your hand. Put a physical book, the five senses are, are given to us for a reason. That's and if right. you dummy us out with that, we ain't going to have them, buddy. We're gonna be ro- people going to be robots. That's right. It's not going to work for us. Yeah. It's not, not going to work for us, bro. And the learning is, is robotic at this point because of that. Come Come on, man. You're right. Come on, Absolutely right. We can't afford that, bro. We can't. We can't. And you talk about apocalypse. Oh, my God. You you, you get your Negro Domus points because you have been talking about this for quite some time. So uh, I know that for a fact. Hoove, I love you, man. Appreciate you. Be safe. Uh, I'll talk with you very, very soon. We'll get you on next week and talk some more about this, okay? My pleasure, my brother. Take care, man. All right, man.